Welcome to That Movie Was, a discussion podcast about movies. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, joined by my co-host, Michael. We back, we back. <laughs> so this episode, watch a little film called Gangs of New York from 2002. And it was directed by Martin Scorsese. Um, so I think, you know, before we get into anything about the movie, I kind of want to talk about Martin Scorsese. A little bit sure sure i mean that's that's definitely a good key you know when you're looking at a movie and you're wondering whether or not you should even rewatch it or if it's worth watching always go by the director because you can't go wrong yeah i find that too and yeah looking back on his list of movies on imdb I realized i hadn't watched as many martin scorsese movies as i thought i had maybe it's just because they're all about three hours that i thought i had seen a lot of those <laughs> movies <laughs> The man's got a lot of film. He's got a lot to say in his films. So, you know, who who are we to stifle his creativity? Very true. Yeah. So I had seen, (laughs) you know, some of his newer things, of course, like like Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed. Mm. Uh, None of those are like that new. I mean, that's still mid 2000s. But um, going back to, I mean, like Goodfellas, Cape Fear, Casino. But I've never seen some of his earlier films like... Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. What about you? Oh, yeah. I've seen – Casino was a great one that you pointed out. He definitely ha- comes like – if you look at like a Martin Scorsese film, uh, it, he comes across and has like his favorite actors. Like how many Leonardo DiCaprio movies is Martin Scorsese? Yeah, you know, Robert fit- De Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro. It's a great one. I was going to say Joe Pesci. So mm-hmm. yeah, that, was, that was another great one. So – Casino was a great one that I've definitely seen Wolf of Wall Street. I think that's one of my uh, top favorite, like, corporate <laughs> greed films, for sure. Yeah. Most people go for that movie for the drug abuse and the partying, but it's, uh, it's more than that. It's you more can than have that. both. Uh, yeah, you can, <laughs> have both. you can have both. What's, I mean, you can't have one without the other, some would say. Yeah, so this film, Gangs of New York, this was actually his first time working with Leonardo DiCaprio. And, young uh, Leo, he was, I mean, pretty how old. He, I mean, he couldn't be more than like 25 years old. But, no, I don't think so. Yeah, and this was only a few years after Titanic, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, he was still somewhat at the start of his career. I mean, you know, that was kind of his big breakout movie other than What's Eating Gilbert Grape. But yeah, that's, yeah, um, that was, you read my mind there because I was going to say other than that, like it's hard to think about come like even earlier younger Leonardo DiCaprio films. That's about it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, once he finds an actor that he likes, he keeps on working with them. Because after this was The Aviator, The Departed, and Wolf of Wall Street. Leonardo DiCaprio was in all of those. So. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, I I love Martin Scorsese, and it's probably another thing I'll bring up later in the podcast when we start going into you know more detail in some of the scenes is his uh, filmography. He really knows how to capture an image uh, from like just the sh- architecture of some of the structures you see in this old 1920s New York, where it's just these they look like rundown buildings, but on the inside they're just like ramp it with people and different floors and levels. You really captured all of that along with um, the end scene, of course, with uh, you see, you know, the graveyard and the um, New York as it comes through the ages and starts growing even bigger and bigger. I mean, I thought that's just uh, 
something to point out and really one of his strong suits. Yeah, I thought that was a really cool shot. And we'll we'll uh talk a little bit more about that in a little bit here. But um how about I read out a uh, synopsis on the movie? Then after that, we'll warn everybody that uh spoilers may be coming. So, you know. Yes, again, if you didn't join us on our first episode here, I want to remind you that this is for people who have seen the movie or are looking for something new but don't mind spoiling the details yeah yeah we're not going to go point by point on every part of the movie but you know you'll find out who makes it out and who doesn't so (laughs) exactly (laughs) if you want to avoid that (laughs) all right so it takes place in the uh early 1860s in uh lower manhattan that point known as five points and we got a um native new yorker Bill the Butcher Cutting, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Great actor. Oh, yeah. He's great. And so he's kind of the overlord of the area. It's riddled with crime, prostitution, theft, murder. And all this is going on as the Civil War is raging on. Um, and so, yeah, Bill, he gets into a uh, tussle with a guy named <laughs> Priest Valen. If you want to call it a tussle and not a <laughs> full-on brawl, anyone who's but, seen this movie, it doesn't seem like a tussle. A tussle is like my, like you know, me as a six-year-old and my ten-year-old brother is beating me with a pillow. Uh, these are men trying to kill each other. Yeah, so I, I actually didn't realize that that was going to be the opening scene. I had seen that before um, on YouTube, actually. Uh, just that scene. I didn't know it was the opening, so I thought Liam Neeson was going to be in the movie a lot longer than he was. No, man. He got paid his due just to, you know, take a bow. Yeah. And he was out of there. <laughs> in and out. Exactly. Yeah, so opening scene. I mean, it's it's the, the battle for five points. We got the natives led by Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, known as Bill the Butcher Cutting. And they're facing we're off with referring, the, referring to natives. Are you you're just saying the people that were in New York first? Yeah, native New Yorkers, the guys who really don't like, I guess, Irish immigrants. Yeah, all the any in. foreigners that have been coming in on the coming in on the boat past the Statue yeah. of Liberty. Immigrants of any kind. Yeah, exactly. They, uh, they don't want them coming in and taking the New York that they knew. I guess for you know themselves. So, yeah, they're facing off with the dead rabbits. Uh, (laughs) The reason that I even watched this part on YouTube so long ago is because they parodied it in Anchorman. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. So, I mean, I had seen Anchorman. I always thought that that was kind of like a weird scene in that movie when the uh, news stations are facing off. And I was like, this has to be referencing something. Right. I just don't know what it is. Because, <laughs> you know, it's all the uh, the news teams. And yeah, the newscasters and teams in town going up to square off against each other, and that's exactly what's happening Bats here. with nails in it and chains wrapped around their hands and stuff. And so, yeah, saw it on YouTube. Didn't know it was the opening scene. Figured Liam Neeson was going to be around a lot longer. That was not the case. Yeah, so they, uh, they clash and... Um, yeah, Bill the Butcher kills Liam Neeson playing Priest Valen in here. And that's all being watched by Priest Valen's young son at uh, Amsterdam, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio later on in the movie. 
Right, right. It's crazy how to think because you mentioned that this place is called Five Points and essentially mm-hmm. it's like it's basically taking this borough of New York. I don't even call it it's Manhattan, yeah, but they're just taking it and splitting it amongst five different, you know, communities. And mm-hmm. it's uh, one thing that it's a common theme in this film that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but it is the um the um unity in division you know right now they have this uh fight at the beginning but as you can tell um each community or tribe or i don't even know how you'd like to call them borough uh it identifies themselves before the fight to show to like you know to raise their flag to show which side they're fighting for Oh yeah. <laughs> the 40 thieves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now they're all talking like, you know, Irish, <laughs> like late 1800s, very heavy accent. So I couldn't pick up all the tribe mates, but 40 thieves was definitely one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was noticing that too. I think every time that Daniel day Lewis was saying New York, he was like, New York, New York. <laughs> York. <laughs> <laughs> but, exactly. Mean, he's, he's probably more accurate. I mean, we'll talk a little bit later, but Daniel day Lewis, I mean, when he gets a role, he, uh, he sticks to that role. He's a method actor. Yeah, he definitely seems like the kind of person. And uh, another gr- person who does this is uh, Christian Bale. But, like, yeah. he's given a role, and even offset, he'll just, like, maintain that role. He's like oh, a yeah. Jim Carrey, or uh, and just, like, I'm going to have dinner with you, but I'm going to remain Bill the Butcher and eat my. <laughs> yeah, don't take him out to a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> he will make a scene. Yeah, so. 16 years after that battle at five points, uh, the brutal murder of his father, um, orphaned Irish American Amsterdam Valen returns to this melting pot of corruption to avenge his father's untimely death. However, a lot has changed since then. Who can remember the once innocent boy and now a young man bent on revenge who works his way up to the hierarchy of five points? Will Amsterdam ever taste the dangerous but sweet fruit of retribution? Question yeah, mark? <laughs> question mark? I, I kind of think he did. Um, it's definitely a vengeance movie. Yeah, and, it's definitely a vengeance movie. So, uh, honestly, it's there's a great point to be made about just like th- how blinded they were to the vengeance. To be honest, just because I mean, like, it's really for a two hour and forty five minute movie. That's what you think it revolves around, but only until the very end do you see that like it's for naught. But yeah, uh, yeah Leonardo DiCaprio, he's definitely this like bloodthirsty young man. He you can just see the fire in his heart, in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Every like every scene, he's just like always got this like it's like he's like really trying hard to pent down his anger and frustrations. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. So, I mean, you know, 16 years he is away from five points, but that whole time, I mean, he's he's stewing. You know, he has revenge on his mind. He wants to get back and kill Bill the Butcher. But it seems like everybody else who was a part of that battle has, I mean, in a way, kind of moved on. Maybe yeah, not, or, or like melded into how Bill Bill's way of thinking, his way of thought. You know, you have uh, John C. Riley, 
who is a great actor, uh, mm-hmm. got a great character in this movie, but uh, who was once on uh, the priest side is ends up being the um, the chief of police, and he's corrupt. Right. Yeah, he plays uh, Happy Jack, and yeah, you're right. He's he's kind of the the sheriff or chief of police. Um, yeah, and so I mean, you know, it, and then uh, one of um, Bill the Butcher's right hand men was also uh, one of the guys who was a part of the Dead Rabbits in the first scene too. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It seems like out of uh, maybe you know desperation or convenience, you know, they kind of meld up with. Um, Bill the Butcher, but then, you know, probably it's it, it's in their interest. <laughs> I think I it's, uh, yeah. Well, not want to get revenge after a certain point. Uh, so yeah. it seems like the only person who's who's still really after Bill here is Amsterdam, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can see that. There's definitely, I mean, characters that show their frustrations towards bill but mm-hmm. it's really it's really fear at the end of the day that's keeping anything from happening and yeah. uh bill and the, daniel day lewis in this movie he's definitely one to make his presence known he's got a very kingly manner to his uh persona and his character oh my gosh yeah first time you see him come on screen he's <laughs> uh has that uh glass eye that has little yeah and the cur- in it. dude like i'm maybe skipping a little bit ahead but there was a point in this film where daniel day lewis and leonardo dicaprio are having a discussion while was leonardo dicaprio's laying on bed after he just uh you know did the did the dirty with the uh cameron diaz yeah. but he talks about how uh the priest is the one that uh was the reasoning that Daniel Day-Lewis lost his eye. But at the end, he explains the story, and it's Daniel Day-Lewis that cut out his own eye. Like, (laughs) Yeah, there's there's maybe a screw loose with that guy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like a a man of principle, but so much so that he's nuts. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, it's... Yeah, I mean, I I think Amsterdam, when he comes on the scene, he he wants revenge maybe straight away but it's kind of interesting over time that you know he learns hey he he might have to kind of infiltrate into uh bill's ranks and then after a certain amount of time i mean it it kind of comes comfortable in there you know like when you're friends with bill it seems like you're living it up you know he 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 takes care of you Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he was living on the streets and now he's getting prime cuts of meat in the bed to sleep in. So can't hate the guy. You might hate the guy as much as you can, but you know, you don't have to hate the perks. He becomes kind of like a surrogate father. Yeah, that was very strange. That was very strange because like uh, it was very well known to the audience that I mean, the reason behind Leonardo DiCaprio joined the squad was to, you know, try and get into the you know, infiltrate the group, but yeah, he, Daniel Day Lewis just can't help but like share his knowledge and wisdom to the youth, and whether or not that's like a father son kind of thing, or he definitely takes a shine to Amsterdam, right? Yeah, and so it, um, I think in the first, 
kind of moments of Amsterdam getting back. Doesn't he plot with like a um, Chinese uh, restaurant or tavern because they celebrate annually the defeat of the dead rabbits every year. And that's when Bill the Butcher takes a shot of a, some sort of flaming alcohol. I don't know what it was. But yeah, so I mean, like his whole plan is contingent on that night happening. We find right. out that that's during that time he wants to throw a knife into Bill the Butcher was his right, plan. Right. Before, we, before we get into uh, too deeply into this scene and stuff like that, I just want to put a pin here and mark that. What is up with Liam Neeson's character always dying? Is it just me or does he just play characters that just honestly Qui-Gon Jinn, you know, yeah. the, uh, he was in the gray. He gets eaten by wolves, uh, taken, taken three, he gets killed, you know, like, oh, you spoiled <laughs> taken three for me. Oh Jesus. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to everyone that has not seen the taken series, but, uh, I was whoever, waiting for Taken 4 came out. Whoever are the <laughs> people casting Liam Neeson, they always just got one thing in mind. Just like, man, you're a good guy, but you just you got to go. You got to die. Yeah, you got to go. You got to go. But apologies. I just needed to make that point apparent because I, I, it was very like bright in my mind. Like, dang, dang Liam just can't, <laughs> you can't catch a break. It's in his contract. It's in his contract. <laughs> exactly. But uh, go ahead, please finish us through the uh, the uh, the day of um, you know the death of uh, the priest. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's during that uh, big battle for five points that um, I guess Bill the Butcher kind of sets his sights on priest. He's got like a meat cleaver and some other knife. I mean, he's taking the, uh, the butcher moniker like. Pretty literally. To heart, and, to um, heart. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, he, they'd have the celebration at this like Chinese bar, or brewery, or something like that. But as Liam, uh, sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio uh, explains to us early in the film that he had a relationship with the Chinese just for the fact that the Chinese hated the uh, the natives just as much as any Irish or Polish person could. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was definitely some conspiring there, and. Uh, I believe the point was to try and uh, spear like a dagger throw to build a butcher from across the room while he was doing his toast and taking down the flame shot. Yeah, that seems like a uh, not well thought out plan. Well, no. Okay. (laughs) I, I agree. I mean, like, you know. He did, he did use knives instead of like a pistol, and then when he missed his first knife, he tried to take out a pistol and still lost. So yeah, so I, maybe it should have been like pistol first, then knife. You know, during during the setup when he approaches that Chinese tavern or restaurant, um, I thought that maybe they were going. You know, he, he this Bill the Butcher always takes a shot out of this flaming glass i thought maybe they were going to poison the glass or something like that something that would make in <laughs> a little bit you know something a little bit more inconspicuous yeah throwing a <laughs> knife from across the room and hoping that you hit your target and then also you're in there with all these people who just saw you do that so, <laughs> yeah so like oh man i thought through well i mean at the end of the day though like uh, he was betrayed 
That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's one of his, um, one, one of the other kids who was in the, the yeah. rabbits, a, a guy named Johnny. Um, yeah. So Johnny has a big old crush for Cameron Diaz throughout the film, but yes. Cameron Diaz only has her eyes on Amsterdam. So heart struck and betrayed or felt betrayed. She, he decided to go to build a butcher to spill, uh, Amsterdam's plan. Yeah, he sells him out. Sells him out. Uh, you know, they came up from the you know the nothing, the dirt, and then you got to let a little you know girl crush thing get you know you're gonna kill your mate for that. That seems a little intense, even for uh, you know early nineteenth, uh, late nineteenth century. I agree, but yeah, Johnny gets his so uh, <laughs> <laughs> badly, badly. If I have to add a point there. But yeah, so I mean, yeah, you mentioned Cameron Diaz is the uh, love interest in this movie. She plays kind of a uh, pickpocketer who, well, she does a few different things. I mean, you know, she'll pickpocket, but she'll also dress as a maid and, you know, go into these rich houses. I think they even, you know, use the term like turtle doving, um, some like historically accurate terms for these. Right, like, 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 uh, what's what's the term when you're like trying to seduce another agent, like, of being a spy, honey potting? She's like, yeah, Yeah. she's she's the equivalent of a thief who uses her charms and looks to steal than a honey potter who's trying to like, you know, uh, get a spy, you know, into close quarters by seducing them. Yeah, so I mean, she's. Love interest in this movie at first, Leonardo DiCaprio kind of seems like he doesn't want anything with her. Um, I mean, she does steal a uh, you know medal that his father had given to him before mm-hmm. that big battle in the beginning, and that's how he kind of tracks her down and sees what she you know does throughout the day, like grifting and things like that. But exactly. it's really Johnny who is like infatuated with right uh jenny is the name of the character jenny everdeen um but yeah i mean eventually amsterdam falls for her and then we learn from a conversation to theirs after they um have sex and he has an awkward talk with bill (laughs) in the room the next morning that um bill actually took jenny in like you know as a young kid Um, yeah yeah we got a little backstory to her definitely yeah i think you know he was we find out that she was maybe his like knife throwing assistant things (laughs) like that which i mean the assistant's pretty much just the target of that (laughs) yeah exactly basically just like was take she was just taken in from the streets and you know uh basically you know was like partial lover to bill but also just kind of like I don't know. You, Bill the Butcher definitely has a soft spot for the youth of his community and, you know, anyone specifically who will do anything to survive, that have that, you know, fight or flight mentality. Um, he has I, I definitely a, a show of respect because both um, Cameron Diaz and Leonardo DiCaprio's characters have that and he takes a shine to both of them. Well, that's true, yeah. He likes somebody with a little bit of fire. Yeah, but then Cameron Diaz's character gets pregnant. They t- don't want the child because it's obviously Bill the Butcher doesn't want the child. 
So they do a, you know, 1860s version of a C-section, which I can only imagine. Yeah, the scar looked pretty nasty. Yeah, I can only imagine how <laughs> terrible and awful that must be. But uh, right after that, Bill is still being a, you know, uh, um, I don't know, what's, what's a machismo man. He's got Mary Machismo. He definitely doesn't like a girl that's cut up or whatever like that. Yeah, no, she's, uh, you know, to him, damaged goods. Yeah, well put, well put. But um, so that's basically the kind of the start of where we know where Cameron comes, Cameron Diaz's character comes from. But uh, even though Leonardo DiCaprio has gotten so close to Bill and so close to Cameron Diaz that mm-hmm. she can still maintain his secret identity. Yeah. And so, I mean, what are some of the things that Amsterdam does in the movie that kind of puts him in like Bill's good graces? Um, I think it started with that fist fight. Match. Yeah. It started with the fist fight. I believe one of Bill's left-hand men, I wouldn't even put him in like the third or fourth rank, but he's on the executive board. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gets in a fist fight with Amsterdam, and Amsterdam almost rips his cheek off. But yeah, yeah. he was fish hooking him. Yeah, he was, <laughs> so, oh, the old fish hook. I saw that on <laughs> WWE. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's probably one of the first things. Um, yeah, there's that. There's a boxing match that's going on, and it gets broken up by the uh, police at that time, and then. Amsterdam, you know, because it's in the um, city limits. There's no boxing in the city limits or betting on boxing in the city limits. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I mean, Amsterdam gets a bright idea. He asks, hey, where do the city limits end? And I think they end up, you know, moving the fight out to like basically like the outskirts the of town. The docks, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, Bill's liking him. He sees that, you know, like, hey, I might have, you know, had the wrong first impression of this kid. He's maybe a little bit smarter than he, you know, thinks. I think, you know, Bill probably sees a little bit of that, you know, Priest Valen in him that he really respected. But at this point, he doesn't know that this is Priest Valen's son. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a familiarity that he recognizes. And I think the first time we see it is during the very beginning, uh, during when the house is on fire and uh, Johnny and uh, Amsterdam try and go rob the house before it falls apart. And uh, Amsterdam ends up saving his buddy's life. And uh, Billy gets a first look at who this guy is. So uh, there's definitely things that Le- uh, Leonardo DiCaprio does that secures his ranking amongst them. But I think that it's his uh, personality, his, you know, his, um, his characteristics that really um, also in his education as well. I think being an educated man meant something more back then, but uh for one thing, Billy wasn't a great reader. So things like that really, you know, can uh, affect the way that, you know, Billy sees Amsterdam. Yeah. Well, I can't see too well because he cut out of one of his eyes, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all could have been avoided. <laughs> yeah. 
this I think the craziest part about this film was just the fact that like even in such like what seemed like civilized times, it could be so barbaric. Oh, definitely. Like they're all wearing top hats and button downs with tr- nice trousers and things like that. Like, yeah, what some would consider uh, yeah, watches. Yeah, I mean, I know that was like the style of the time and everything like that. But even still, like the first and the final fight weren't going to be done with any sort of riflery or pistols or anything like that. It was going to be done with daggers and bats and you know swords and spears. It's crazy. It's like right yeah they didn't want guns involved would have been uh, a little too clean for them yeah i think the the important thing to notice here is that um throughout this film and we start seeing it more and more and it's the way that the civil war touches their uh this five points and um even though their own they're all caught up in each other's business and who runs this little small part of the world the rest of the world, I mean, America, let's call it the rest of America is, you know, completely entwined with this, with the Civil War and just uh, shows how, like, fruitless their endeavors were. I mean, it comes to the end of the point of the film where they're um, in the Civil their fight doesn't even matter anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's... Um... Yeah, so I mean, all throughout the film, um, you're getting, I guess, kind of messages from um, like the the war drafters looking to draft people into the Union Army, you know, because they're up in New York, um, and saying that you know the only way that you can avoid the draft is either to pay three hundred dollars, which I mean, I didn't look up what no, inflation is, but yeah, I, I, nobody had that at that point. At least nobody, um, you know, from the five the, po- from the five elites. points, yeah. Or you know, if you're in one of these gangs, that you might get some protection. You know, none of none of Billy the Butcher's people <laughs> are going to get drafted because you know, whole uh, he just, has a lot of political sway. That's right. Yeah, and so I mean that all culminates at the end of the film with um i guess a bunch of rioting and um yes yeah definitely yeah yeah yeah. and uh i wish you know would have been a good idea to do a little maybe research because i'm sure that that actually took place like this these this riots before this war in new york were real history but um we just definitely got like the face first like feel for how chaotic new york ended up turning off just because all the rich people were demanding that the poor go to serve and you're right it's because none of them can afford that buyout and so i mean all these families and so like civilians they don't want to go fight to their death basically especially for a lot of them who, as you can see in the film, when there's that play with Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of them don't believe in the same beliefs as Abraham Lincoln or like the rights for, you know, equal rights for black and white. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're throwing uh, tomatoes and other produce up at uh, the Abraham Lincoln actor. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> as he's hanging there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, I thought that was kind of, interesting one that you know hey daniel day lewis's character in this 
movie, Billy the Butcher hates Abraham Lincoln, I think, with a passion. You know, doesn't stand for the same things that he's standing for. He, he doesn't really want the uh, maybe emancipation of the slaves. Um, and you see that, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, throws a knife at, I think, like a campaign poster for Lincoln. Um, right, exactly. And then same actor, Daniel Day-Lewis, is 10 years later, plays Lincoln in Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Call that a twist of fate. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, and with him being a method actor, you know, he had to get into the uh, mindset of both of these guys. Um, I wonder if he was ever thinking about that. He was just like, huh, what a, what a coincidence here. Oh, no doubt. Or maybe he just expunges all of that from his mind when he's done with a movie. Because, I mean, he had uh, There Will Be Blood between these two in 2007. So maybe you just forgot all about being Billy the Butcher. Oh. <laughs> he takes all of this so seriously. Sounds like <laughs> a hard thing to forget, but I could see that too, man. I can see him just blacking out these periods for a year <laughs> while he's <laughs> playing these characters. How the, the hell did we end up here? <laughs> <laughs> Where did my eye go? Yeah, what, what did my eye go? <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, uh, to yeah, just so, sap, wrap, wrap up the synopsis, what, what happened in the last 30 minutes of the film? Well, uh, one thing I, I did want to touch on with sure. mean, the, the, the play that we just mentioned, I thought that this was a really interesting part is that, I mean, this whole movie is set up with Amsterdam out for blood, you know, wanting to get revenge on Billy the Butcher. During the play, a kind of unnamed gunman, you know, I don't know who he was or who he was sent by or anything, approaches Billy with a pistol, going to assassinate him. And then who else but Amsterdam runs and tackles the gunman causing Billy to just get shot in the arm rather than, you know, the heart or the head or, you know, somewhere that would definitely be a kill. I mean, what do you, what do you think that was because of? Uh, it's a stupid answer, but you know, it's what it was. It's the, that guy was robbing Leonardo DiCaprio of his vengeful right to okay. be the one to take Billy's life for himself. I don't believe that it was for the sake of further embedding himself into Billy's gang, which it did, but I think at the end of the day, in his mind, it was no one is going to act, you know, kill Billy but me. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it could be that he didn't want this guy to steal his, you know, kill. kill. I mean, you know, that's the thing that's driving him. What else would he have to live for after that? And then, I mean, I kind of got the sense that, I mean, he was starting to like Billy the Butcher. I mean, like I said before, I, I think he was seeing him as kind of like a surrogate father after losing his own, you know, 16 years earlier. I think it was kind of instinctual maybe. And then afterwards he's like, ah, shit. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> maybe I should have let that crap happen. That no, that's, easier. A good point. that's a good point. I mean, like I've never been in that scenario before, but it could have been very like, you know, act of the moment kind of thing. Yeah. I kind of like that. They didn't tell us what was on his mind. You know, there's not like a scene later on where he's <laughs> down with Jenny or something. And he's like, man, I just wanted to in that moment, but I couldn't bring myself, you know, yeah, just, exactly. Uh, leave it up for our interpretation. Classic Martin, classic Martin Scorsese doing that to the audience. 
yeah. making us think and whatnot. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so points. We'll, we'll fast forward towards the end, um, kind of wrap this up. So it's the assassination attempt on Billy the Butcher at this Chinese tavern does not work. It's a spectacular failure. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Amsterdam, throws a knife. Billy knows something's up because Johnny's kind of ratted on um, Amsterdam, told him that he was priest's you know, son. And uh, so Billy the Butcher deflects the knife, um, and that's where things go wrong. <laughs> yeah, he deflects, he, he deflects the knife with another knife. Like yeah, he had like a meat shot in, or something. Yeah, he had. He has the he has the flaming. He did a lot, man. He like even with one eyeball too. <laughs> I'm just imagining this all with one eyeball. It's like good <laughs> eye that has a peripheral towards Leonardo, like in the scene. But like he just drops that glass so fast. Oh, there's a flying dagger. Ping! Not oh, imagine if he had both eyes. I know. And then he threat. he throws his own dagger and natches uh, Leonardo right in the gut. So. Yep. Um, so he wounds I, him. He beats him up. Um, scars then, uh, him. Yeah, instead of killing him, you know, he kind of marks him. He, he, you know, burns his cheek with a hot blade, and um, then doesn't do anything more. Doesn't kill him. He, he, I think, wants to embarrass him more than kill him. You send the message. Yeah, send a message. This is what happens if anybody tries to come after me. And so, which Jenny, is what, this is always his been his way i think that's oh, always yeah. been way. yeah he, he wants to strike fear into people and i mean yeah if he, if he killed him right away sure people would be afraid but it wouldn't be a long lasting fear good point good point that's good no, that's a good note yeah so amsterdam gets nursed back to health by jenny uh she wants them to move to san francisco and just get away from new york as a whole but amsterdam's got a mission you know he wants to uh, kill Billy Butcher. He wants to reclaim five points. And so he kind of rallies the troops, some of the old dead rabbits and some of these other gangs that, uh, you know, have since popped up. Since right. Right. Yeah. He's doing, he's doing everything. He went through a very vengeful plan at first, but then now he's taking a very political approach for a second attempt. And uh, first thing he does is that he gets, um, uh, what's the guy's name? McGinn? Is there Mc? Uh, who's the guy that starts running for like town council or for like the sheriff? I think it's McGinn, but th- they all also call him Monk. Monk. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, that's exactly it. Uh, and that's played by Brendan Gleeson, also known as Mad Eye Moody, for any of you Harry Potter fans out there. But uh, mm-hmm. that's the first start in it. But yeah, it, again, he goes and starts meeting up with the old groups that were once part of uh, the priest's, you know, crew, his gang, loyal followers. Yeah. So he makes Monk sheriff. Um, I mean, you know, he he gets uh, some loyal Irish um, immigrants to uh, count their vote. I thought this part was pretty interesting, and it's, it's historically accurate, too, of just rounding up people to vote vote even yeah. if it's multiple times right yeah that's exactly what bill the butcher just goes into that chinese shop and starts rounding up people for tallies yeah that's, that's kind of fun they're all you know running away or trying to 
duck over the bar and yeah, they don't even know what the <laughs> yeah, they don't even know what's gonna happen next. But they're like, hey, vote vote for me. Taking them over to the uh, barber too, and you know, shaving their beard down into a mustache, and then kicking them back out the door to go vote again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was looking some things up, and I mean, it looks like you know, hey, maybe it didn't happen exactly that way, but that was definitely. I mean, there was some historical accuracy to that. Oh, for sure. For sure. Uh, there's really no like clean sense of voting back in that day. Just to go, I mean, I don't, who knows how clean the politics were? I mean, like, you know, they were doing their like, um, you know, ballots and they were doing their own conferences and meeting with people to, you know, sway votes and whatever like that. But I mean, they're just like, throwing curses and derogatory terms like anything to stir an emotion in the masses to try and like vote their way but it's just like it's like the most like ruthless form of political i've seen did you see politics monks murder coming ah did i see it coming that's a great question i don't think i saw it coming like uh no, no, I don't think I saw it coming. It was definitely a surprise to me, but uh, does it make sense? Yes. Yeah, it makes sense too. Yeah, so I mean, you know, Bill approaches Monk outside of his, uh, I think it was a barbershop. And yeah, I, you know, it's, Bill's trying to, I guess, kind of, you know, um, antagonize monk get him to come out uh, you know it, if monk had come out i could definitely see bill just killing him right in the street but monk's trying to handle it kind of diplomatically you know saying hey come inside you know we'll talk like men as soon as he turned around i was like oh okay something it's <laughs> 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 coming on here sure enough he gets an axe to the back and then he's beaten with his own uh kind of just bludgeoning stick whatever that thing's called yeah that was a a dirty way to kill a person that from a man dirty. yeah yeah from a man that strives himself on principle he definitely probably went against his own morals there to do that so yeah sure straight, straight that, humiliated yeah. and uh unhinged i guess bill was at that point exactly good point yeah so that really sparks off um this culminating battle between, yeah, it's war now. Yeah, it's war. It's on. You know, Amsterdam hates Bill. He's rallying up, you know, a, a new dead rabbits along with, you know, some other people to uh, other gangs to fight on his side. And uh, Bill's rallying up his troops. They're going to go meet, you know, similarly to the opening scene. But during all of that, these draft riots break out. Um, and so, I mean, you're seeing uh just kind of snippets of i mean you know rioters breaking into kind of like the wealthy's homes and um uh, murdering them or looting them i suppose i mean you know they, they show some of that yeah most of the looting was happening at these rich homes but uh a lot of the killing were of black people in the streets that's i think where that's what the difference was there that's true. They definitely show that. Yeah. Hanging and a burning of a uh, black man. Mm-hmm. 
So as far as that, I think they just wanted to pillage the rich and just show how vulnerable they actually are because multiple times throughout the film, we see that uh, it's the rich who are trying to uh, pin the poor against each other or, you know, seem to see themselves as this uh, untouchable, you know, force that has all this, you know, sway and power over them. Yeah. Yeah, so that prompts the Union Army to come in. I mean, they're uh, shooting riders in the street. And before Bill and Amsterdam and their gangs can face off, there's some cannon fire that just <laughs> well, it just bowls over people in both yeah, gangs. Really like, they're so entwined in their own, like, endeavors and their own personal tiff among each other that they don't even see the outside picture of that, like, the entire, all of New York, not just five points, but all of New York is now in just chaos yeah. from all parts of New York. And it's it's easily disrupted when these people walk around with bats and knives just like don't even have a second to speak to one another it wasn't like the first fight where it was a means of like uh you know a proper challenge to one another this was a fight that both sides were destined to lose right yeah yeah these cannons are just ripping into them and then yeah, so I mean, Bill and Amsterdam still want to face each other off, you know, even though it's seems like the just only ones them at this point. And <laughs> this scene was, I mean, so I it's all smoky at this point, you know, due to like all the rubble and stuff. Bill's like running through the uh, fog and debris and just cutting Amsterdam as he runs. It's like I, barely, I know Naruto run basically just into like a thousand <laughs> little slices. Yeah, it was really funny like how he was just playing and coming across and stuff like that. And the entire time like Amsterdam's just like show yourself. Yeah. Face me. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely uh <laughs> funny to watch. But yeah. then at the end, the cannon fire just becomes too much, and it, at Bill takes some shrapnel to the gut. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even Amsterdam. Who, Amsterdam does bury the final blow, but by no means would you call that a victory. No, yeah, yeah. It's he, he does use his. Uh, I guess that same knife from the opening of the film to stab Bill. But at that point, I actually thought that both of them were dead in the streets uh both yeah, of them were laying down God. bloody and just you know surrounded by uh i guess other people in the gang <laughs> who got hit with cannon fire too exactly uh, but yeah you can just see it man the union's there everything's falling apart and leon leonardo DiCaprio finally gets to exact his revenge but uh at what cost yeah right so, I mean, he, after this, I think Jenny finds Amsterdam. She was going to get on a boat to San Francisco and leave him. But, you know, all of that got canceled when the uh, riots broke out. So she yeah, she even Amsterdam. got attacked. She even yeah, got she attacked. Did, right. Yeah. So trying uh, to... they steal, they steal like a necklace from her, but they all, I mean, for all we know, they could have taken the money that she had to buy the ticket and everything like that on the boat so like i think at that point at least from what i saw she was just as stuck in five points as you know the rest of them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so Amsterdam ends up surviving. They bury Bill in a cemetery, um, actually next to uh, the grave of Priest Valen, Amsterdam's father. And then that ends with a really cool um, shot, I thought. That's, you know, the New York City skyline back in the 1860s. And then you just kind of see like a time lapse of... um, it's growth through the ages. Yeah, growth through the ages. So, I mean, you kind of see the weathering of some of these tombstones, wall, bigger and bigger buildings are being built up in the New York City skyline. That all culminates with, I guess, you know, the uh, 2000s skyline, which does feature the uh, two twin towers, the World Trade mm-hmm. Center towers, which I thought was definitely, I mean, definitely interesting because the movie came out in. A year after, yeah, exactly. A year after the attacks, so I was like, okay, that's purposeful. I could see, you know, maybe Martin Scorsese being like, you know, a, a New York native, a New York lover. You know, he, he didn't want to feature the skyline without those two buildings in it, um, and that was probably the case. But I also found some behind-the-scenes information. Um, that uh, actually the movie was originally supposed to come out in 2001. Like film was complete, but then its release was actually delayed following the attacks on September 11th. So they pushed the release all the way back to December 20th, 2002. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I'm sure that they still wanted to keep the towers in. That was probably always the plan. But the movie did actually get pushed out basically an entire year, I would assume, if it came out in December 2002. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is great. Yeah, I'm sure that had a point to play in the fact that the film was just finished before the attack happened and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, it's good to think that that could be, have been one of Martin Scorsese's, you know, trains of thought and to to keep it there just as a uh, uh you know it that, that is new york that's what it's become that's where it was and like you know that hey michael can you hear me can you hear me hey can you hear me hey i, I think i lost you for a second there oh sorry about that sorry about that Yes, uh, so. I was just I was just saying that I was agreeing with you and the fact that um, Martin Scorsese probably did leave it there for sentimental reasons. The fact that, it, I mean, the Twin Towers are just as a truer landmark of New York than the Empire State Building or the Statue of Liberty. And um, but I also do believe that it's, you know, you filmed it. That's what it was like. And uh, are you really going to go back and recut the shot for the sake of, uh, you know, just to erase those two twin towers, which uh, at the end I don't think makes too big of a uh, you know a notice. Hardly, if maybe anyone would truly notice, unless you were you know looking into it. No, I think it was the right choice to keep the men there, uh, totally, especially during that time. But yeah, so I mean, a little bit of um, trivia, I guess, about the movie. So uh, came out. Um, was you know received awesomely but you know it's a martin scorsese movie so (laughs) i think you know everybody expected it to uh you know rack up um 
awards and things. Nominated for 10 Oscars, the 75th Academy Awards. Wow. Yeah. 10. 10. Um, the original cut of the movie was actually an hour longer than this final cut. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So what would have been, you know, uh, I guess this cut I watched was like two hours, 50 minutes. So, yeah, it would be closer to a four-hour movie at that point. And that's, um, that would be a lot. It it is it is but there is like I was just thinking this and I I think there is a going average nowadays of what a film should be and it's somewhere between like 110 minutes to like 145 to 50 minutes I think that's like a pretty good like time frame of basically like I don't know throwing out a guessing number here but like let's say more than half of the films that are out there but if you're the type of person that can like sit down and enjoy a film for multiple hours like like, you don't have anything pressing on your plate that you could put away three hours to a movie i mean just to name a couple of other films that are longer than two and a half hours uh lord of the rings once upon a time in america um right yeah exactly these are films that are very very good they're just long because i mean it's it comes to the point that like are you willing to sacrifice a great story and some cinematic magic just so that you can save yourself you know 45 minutes of viewing a film yeah makes it a little easier that i mean so this one that i caught was this is on hbo right now and so able to pause it, you know, at home. And, you know, if I want to get something to eat or drink or, you know, take a bathroom break, that's fine. When it's in theaters, <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a different story. You got to, uh, you know. Hold the pee, man. Or think Don't about get the extra lock soda. <laughs> when there's downtime. <laughs> that's true. Blessed are we to have streaming services. But I can tell if you're watching this film on like, you know, TV or in a film, in a movie theater you're correct that would be a doozy but like i said make sure you just don't have anything on your plate that night you know uh you know let the kids go to sleepover or something like that you got a film to watch yeah (laughs) or let them watch it you know exactly (laughs) exactly it's history exactly uh another cool piece of trivia uh was uh daniel day lewis's fake eye and so what he did is he actually coated his real eye with prosthetic glass. Oh, God. Yeah. So, I mean, being the guy that delves into his character as much as he does, he actually trained himself not to blink with that eye. And um, basically, went, like, had pieces of prosthetic in his eyeball and kept it open for lots and lots of parts of the film. Oh, man. And, uh, eye stuff makes me so uncomfortable. Oh, I know, right? It's just like, keep your keep your fingers away from my eyeball, please. <laughs> so, and actually, there, during filming, Leonardo DiCaprio actually broke it at one point while it was in his eye. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. The little quote that I found for that did not say that if it was during filming or not, but uh, he did break it. Okay, so maybe it was, it was actually while it was like sitting on the prop <laughs> table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe. Let's hope because. That would suck if you got some pieces of shards in your eyeball. 
So I saw this piece of trivia on IMDb. I don't know, you know, how accurate this is, but okay, it like, it's IMDb. Well, yeah, but you know, people still have to submit these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It looks like Tom Hanks was approached to play Bill the Butcher. <laughs> Can you imagine? No, I really can't. I can't I really imagine can't. either. He plays such like a good-hearted character in so many of his films. I know the guy like, who just played Mister Rogers is also going to be Bill the Butcher. Exactly. Yeah, that. I mean, I, I like Tom Hanks, but I think this was not the role for him. No, no. Yeah. Daniel Day do Daniel Day Lewis did it right. I think that. Um, Cameron Diaz was a great choice for yeah, the leading she was a great actress. Choice as well. Um, and someone who I see, which is strange, because you know, you is John C. Riley, because mm-hmm. that man is in both serious films, but there's tons of comedy films that he's in too. Right, Step Brothers and those kinds. Yeah, well, that's the first one that came into my head, but it's just uh, he's got a wide portfolio, and every once in a while, same thing goes for uh, Stephen Graham. I don't know if you've seen Brad Pitt's film uh, with Guy Ritchie, um, Snatch, but uh, he plays in that film too as a secondary character, and he was also in the movie that just came out with Robert De Niro, uh, The Irishman. Oh, yeah, another Martin Scorsese movie. <laughs> well, there you go. See, that just goes to show Martin Scorsese has his favorite actors. <laughs> and I- Keeps on going back to that pool. Yeah, he's a, yeah exactly. He's, um, he's the same as Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson, you can't have a Wes Anderson movie without Bill Murray or, um, um, oh, my goodness, I'm, <laughs> something Nelson. Oh, no, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That, was, that wasn't what I was going to go for. Um, what's that movie... With uh, Fight Club, Brad Pitt and the other guy, Edward Norton. There's my guy. You see, this is why you make the big bucks. <laughs> the big bucks. <laughs> We're exactly. not, we don't even have advertisers on this podcast, so making <laughs> the big bucks. Yeah. So uh, Bill the Butcher, uh, well, he himself, you know, wasn't a real historical character. It was based on a uh, historical character. Um, was he? Yeah, a guy named uh, William Poole, whose nickname was The Butcher. So I guess Bill Poole. And uh, he actually had the same final line. Um, I got, William Poole's dying words were the same as Daniel Day-Lewis's in the movie. Thank, what was it? Thank God I was dying at. Thank God I'm dying as a true American. Yeah, I die a true American. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their definition of a true American is um, that's a talking point in itself. I mean, it's <laughs> it's extremely clouded by you know narrow mindedness and just. Um, uh, I don't even know, man. For, yeah. for at least Bill, for at least Bill and his small community, corruption and you know chaos and um, fear. I mean, he was even he goes to tell Leonardo DiCaprio during that scene in the bed that there he's like forty seven, forty seven, and that's supposed to be like. 
like a, an, an honor in self that he's made it to that long. And the only thing that he can chalk it up to is the fact that he strikes fear in those that, you know, would go against him. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he wants to be true American as long as it's benefiting him. under yeah his <laughs> terms, his terms. I don't think he would want to be a, a true American. If you know, he was living like, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was before he met Bill and his, after his father had died. Well, that's, on right. the streets. I mean, that's why he hates the immigrants coming in is because it's, it's ruining his vision of, you know, what New York was. Let's get it back to, you know, the New York that my father died for, that, that kind of stuff there. Uh-huh, exactly, exactly. Um, um, one thing I wanted to go and touch on because I, I touched on it before was this unity and division. And the first, well, besides the fight scene, but the next scene is the, during the burning building. And there's something like 30 volunteer fire departments that go across this to all of New York. And all of them want to be the people that put out the fire, even to the point that they would let their squabbles get interfering with just actually dealing with the fire that's taking place next to them. Right. They wanted and, to all compete each other for the right to uh, be the ones to put out the fire. Exactly. Exactly. It's this competition for who, who can take the biggest chunk of the pie when terms of for bill it's, you know, leadership for the fire department. It's for who is the main fire brigade of New York. And, uh, it's just you see it and it really there's a time when he, they get in the later in the film where they say that the ta- the city becomes, you know, this 50 50 trade of, you know, those that uh, are for Bill and those are that are for Amsterdam, I guess, you know, uh, but it's this they're all different. They're they're all coming from different parts of New York, different uh religions different ethnicities mm-hmm. uh, there's just as i'm sure anyone knows new york is a ginormous melting pot but it's very much apparent in this film because it comes up again just again and again oh yeah yeah they definitely touch on that yeah so i mean just a couple more things the uh the sets that they built to recreate 1860s New York actually built in a uh, studio in Rome. Um, which I guess, I mean, maybe filming over there was just a little cheaper or, you know, maybe uh, I didn't look up why they chose Rome, but that's where they went to. Wow. I didn't know that. That's good to know. Yeah. I think Bunny had to play its part in it, but also maybe just for the, uh, creative free space because you know like how much can you really do in like a warner bros studio when when you're trying to build this replication of you know 1860s new york which in itself is just like cobblestone roads and ginormous warehouses and uh things that would take up a ton of space if you were to just you know try and do it here in like you know new york or hollywood or anything like that oh yeah definitely yeah and uh, so i mean we already touched a little bit on you know just how into a character um daniel day lewis gets um i mean he you know really did have uh 
<laughs> both on and off screen that Bill the Butcher persona. I think he kept his hair, you know, super greasy all the way through. Bill, oh, the hair, man, that hair. And the weird thing is, is he would take off his top hat when he was relaxing on a chair and he would like firmly press down his hair to make sure it was nice and flat and extra greasy. He reminded me of like George Clooney from Oh Brother Where Art There. He's just like, I don't want no pomade. I'm a Dapper Dan man. (laughs) Yeah, he just had the hair (laughs) matted to his head. It it looked like maybe like a a Lego figure or something where you can just pop the hair. what kind of what kind of do am i feeling today am i feeling uh afro style or a little bit of thin and greasy yeah so i mean even when the camera wasn't on him he was keeping up that bill of the butcher persona and i guess you know so much so that uh he actually got into a couple of fights um in rome in parking lots just for I guess people thinking that <laughs> maybe they didn't know that was Daniel Day Lewis, and they're just thinking that he was or like a, a hobo real asshole. Yeah, he uh, he did get an apprenticeship at a butcher shop so he could learn all about um, different cuts cut. and kind of yeah get his butchering skills in line. Um, he was real good at cutting meat. Real he was good. real good at cutting meat. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then. Even after filming ended, um, I saw where uh, Scorsese and DiCaprio um, invited him out, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, out to you know a restaurant to, I guess, celebrate filming ending. <laughs> and, I mean, again, this is you know, a, a trivia fact on IMDb, so who knows the validity. But the uh, the waitress was so freaked out by Daniel Day Lewis's uh, <laughs> demeanor that she just like refused to serve him, or may- maybe he just left the restaurant or something. But <laughs> <laughs> I-, I guess he can't drop the character, even um, you know, can't. Tons drop of it people right can't. Yeah, ends. tons of people can do that. I mean, Jim Carrey just put out a documentary where he plays. Um, he was doing a movie with uh, Andy. Andy. Um, he was a late night um, comedian. Can't rem- I can't remember his name, but just to prove your point that mm-hmm. there's tons of actors and actresses out there that just uh, they hate to drop a character even when they're off set. Yeah. One thing I wanted to touch on was uh, like the, the, these principles that they that bill and the priest and leonardo DiCaprio and all of five points live by it's these principles and they go and they talk about being civilized Mm -hmm. and it's really interesting to define what they believe was civilized to what actually we think civilization is like being civilized is because throughout the film i mean there's this foreshadowing gloom that everyone except for Leonardo DiCaprio seems to know. I mean, um, John C. Riley's character knew it. Cameron Diaz's character, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis definitely knew it, that their way of life was leaving them. Right. Yeah, way of life being threatened. Yeah, exactly. They're where they've been growing up and what they've been doing for how many who knows how long it's there's a change in the wind and um 
these guys. I was talking, I was joking about it earlier, but these, they're, they act and dress as if they are noblemen with mm-hmm. their side sideburns and top hats and, you know, the things that you were, I guess, a sign of, you know, sophistication back then. I mean, I wouldn't rock any mutton chops now, but, uh, back, I bet then. You, back, back then you're a handsome looking chap, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I personally believe that, uh, other than like, maybe their morals and their principles when it comes to death and fighting and what it means to have honor, they were definitely not civilized. They were everything about their life was built off of fear and chaos and a, a means of, you know, the, the fittest survive and the strong control the weak. Oh yeah. No way. Yeah. I mean, they make their living off of, you know, robbery and extortion and things like that so yeah i mean that's um i think they're trying to put on you know an air of you know hey look how wealthy we are look how civilized we are but i mean at the end of the day they were just you know kind of the bottom feeders yeah they really were i mean even in his throne of power, Daniel Day Lewis is considered a bottom feeder. There were higher noblemen than him that he uh, introduces and himself to in the beginning, who we see uh, later on when the riots thing happened, their house gets overrun mm-hmm. with rioters, and it's uh, he, he is he is uh, as we see it looking from you know the fourth wall. He's at the bottom of the totem pole, and you can't even imagine the poor that he reigns over. Like they're the poorest of the poor. They're you know the the, bo- the very bottom of the barrel. But his real he didn't have any real power. What you might think is power, it was a facade mm-hmm. in the end, and that's what happened that towards the end. I mean, their fight, their squabble, their their tiff, their tussle, as you like to put it. <laughs> it did nothing to them it didn't if it didn't all that led to was more death and you know senseless violence yeah didn't prove anything um and you know the whole area that they're fighting over just basically got leveled at the end of the movie anyways so it's you know hey what are you even fighting for at five points exactly you know there's not even a building left standing probably yeah and ton of and all of them I, I feel like lie to themselves about it. For example, a perfect example is um, John C. Riley's character as the chief of police. Mm-hmm. And there's a point in the film where Daniel Day Lewis gets served up a dead rabbit's pellet. And that's a symbol for Leonardo DiCaprio being like, Hey, the dead rabbits are back and the boys back together. <laughs> the boys are back in town. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are definitely back in town. I thought it was weird and- when they, played that song <laughs> during this 1860s movie. <laughs> it, it, let's just say, you know, they had their war drums and their penny flute leading them off to battle. Nothing would have gotten me more pumped than a little guitar rip. <laughs> that would have gotten me going. But <laughs> back back to it. Daniel Day-Lewis gets served up this dead rabbit's pellet and John C. Riley's in the room and Bill the Butcher wants him to go find this guy and take care of him, snuff this uh, 
snuff this spark of rebellion before it turns into a fire. Mm-hmm. And even himself says that he doesn't run. He doesn't work for you. I don't work for you down today, Lewis. I, I, my guiding light is the law and his morals of being, you know, I'm above you and your chaos. But as we see time and again, especially the first time that we see John C. O'Reilly's character, after the first fight with Liam Neeson, he's a corrupt police officer. He's taking, um, you know, the the loot that they just uh, got from the burning building. Exactly, exactly. He's he's under the boot of Daniel Day Lewis for sure. And I mean, we call it fear or whatever, but I mean, if you're uh, serving under the evil power, doesn't that technically make you evil? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's he was just doing what uh, was in his interest. John C. Riley was, you know. After yeah, and whatever fall apart. Exactly, and for uh, for whatever means he could, he justified his means through thinking that just because I wear a badge and I'm a police officer, I'm a uh, I'm doing it for the law. I'm doing it for justice. Mm-hmm. When it was all for himself. Oh yeah, yeah, very uh very selfish character but i mean he does uh get killed in the movie so (laughs) he does does yes he does he does um another well i guess one of the last points i have to make about this film was i guess just uh the civil war's influence on new york specifically because um i mean uh, when you think about the north you think about the union and you think about you know the right to abolish slavery, but by no means was that a consensus way of thinking. No, definitely for not. all. I mean, it definitely wasn't for the South. I mean, we all know that, but I mean, for the North, they were just as, you know, appalled by the idea as anyone else. Right. Yeah. Everybody wasn't on the same page as uh, what Lincoln was pushing. Exactly. Exactly. And it goes, it comes to think that's like, it's when the rioters were taking out their frustrations and, and who were they taking out on, but were the black people, they weren't taking it out amongst themselves. They were taking them on uh, like out on the rich, mm-hmm. of course, but I mean, none of the rich were getting lynched and burned or anything like that. Nothing. I mean, it's like an outlet for their anger, I guess, yeah, but it's a very it's, misguided outlet to be taking it out on the black community i could understand you know the, the the rich that they're breaking into their houses and looting they do set you know the uh draft um office on fire but yeah it, it seems very uh counterproductive and you know um nonsensical yeah, just, to be taken out on the black immigrants yeah yeah and uh yeah, it just goes to show that uh, New York was such a uh, a hotbed for all this Civil War activity, even though none of the you know battles were necessarily going on in New York. Right. Yeah, this was just all infighting, you know, in the Union area. This wasn't even <laughs> Confederates versus Union. I mean, this was all just where uh, you know far north yeah. where you, you would have thought everybody would be on the same page but no definitely definitely good point thank you I, I thought so too that's why I said it <laughs> <laughs> don't 
don't keep those to yourself. <laughs> mm. All right, uh, Mr. Matt, do you have any further uh, talking points or conversation points? How did you feel? What would you give this movie in terms of a, maybe a grading on a scale of 1 to 10? 1 to 10. I really liked the movie. Um, maybe I would give it a 9. 9 out of 10. Good. Yeah, high grade. It's high grade. grade. I give yeah. it a high I give it high marks as well. Uh, not just from the plot of the movie. The plot of the movie itself is great. I don't think there's much like it in terms of you know re- repeating a theme or a you know a, a movie topic. Um, but it also had a great director. It had a fantastic cast. Mm-hmm. Um, not much of a soundtrack. There wasn't much of a, like a real movie soundtrack going not on really. to it. Like not it was- outside of like you know during the. Uh- <laughs> like I, I think you said, like penny solo, um, yeah, <laughs> or penny flute uh, sounds and drums and things like that. That's yeah. what comes to mind for me. Exactly, or just like you know, overall, just like atmospheric background music, just so that there wasn't a time. But at the same time, um, and I think Martin Scorsese he does this a lot. He, he uses the power of silence and what silence can bring to a, a situation or a mood or anything like that. Specifically, I'm thinking about, again, the bedroom scene with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and Leonardo DiCaprio. They're, I mean, they're just sitting in a, in a dark room in the cold talking, and, and you can feel the, uh, the, the emotion as Daniel Day-Lewis kind of confesses everything, and uh, Leonardo's just kind of just, you know, sitting in the bed like trying to uh, withhold his anger. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, sometimes Daniel Day-Lewis will just get finished saying something and then they'll just linger on him, you know, just kind of sitting there menacingly. And, uh, I mean, that's all that needs to be said. You don't need to put, like, a, you know, dramatic undertone of, you know, like, dun, 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 <laughs> underneath, like, it's just, it, you know, it's scary enough him just sitting there looking at you after he's said his point about how he, you know, um, <laughs> murdered priest Valen and things. Exactly. Exactly. And then, uh, yeah, great points, great points. So, um, and then the last point I just wanted to make before I give my final grade was just the, you know, the, over, the underlying themes. I mean, we, I feel like we've talked about so much already today that, uh, I mean, we really, really just scratched the surface. We could, delve much deeper and even to a point where this movie even though it's technically fiction it has some historical mm-hmm. background points it, it just holds on to the fact that it's a a deep a deeper film a deeper film that has uh you know that was only that was only like a little over a hundred years ago you know and then the, the you know the time line of all of humanity was a blink ago oh yeah yeah so yeah overall exactly exactly so to think that there was a time when like that we were just that chaotic not too long ago thanks to what kind of chaos are we going to come across now you know i want to if i ever come into a chaotic battle where we're not using rifles and weapons and stuff like that but we have to use like knives i'm going to be that first girl from the scene that had like dagger fingers and she was like sharp teeth and going to scratching <laughs> people's eyes that was the one part that kind of brought me out of it i was like okay i 
Did she file that? Yeah. <laughs> and she's just using yeah, know, like, Wolverine claws. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, you are Hugh Jackman, right? Is this the right that, movie? That's, <laughs> exactly. But overall, uh, yeah, uh, eight and a half, nine for sure. This movie just had everything going for it and uh, definitely a repeat watcher. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was a uh, this was a great pick. Yeah, thanks for picking this this week, Michael. <laughs> hey, Matt. Always here for the good picks, man. But then again, <laughs> I'm sure we'll do some podcasts where they're going to be lousy picks. So uh, I'll make sure they're good lousy picks too. But yeah, they can't all be gold. But you know, sometimes that's fun when you're mixing in the uh, the B movies and lousy picks along with these great ones. So exactly, exactly. We'll play. We'll play. Well, thanks for having us again, man. I had fun today. Yeah, this was a good time. And um, yeah, to the listener, uh, I know that you've probably already watched this movie if you're listening to us for an hour and a half talk about it. But if you haven't, don't take our word for anything that you've heard. I mean, go out and watch it. It really is a good movie. Um, you know, it's definitely something <laughs> yeah, that and- I wish I had seen sooner. And as much to and highly we think we are at what we're doing right now, uh, Martin Scorsese did a much better job of filming it. So <laughs> you should just see the real thing for what it is instead of just listening to us rant about our favorite parts. Yeah, good point. All right. Well, mm-hmm. with that, we'll say goodbye and thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.